0: Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Haneman. Thanks for listening,
1: thanks for tuning in, thanks for downloading. It's Justin Haneman on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas today, guys. We are taking a hiatus from the consumer goods and retail world and i can't even wait to introduce you to this entrepreneur justin miller the other justin on the podcast today um co-founder and ceo of a really cool organization called care for aids um you guys are going to be blown away by what he's done and then just the topic in itself it's something that we we don't talk about enough and there's been so much noise in the last year that i i I thought you know we've got to make sure we spotlight this and i'm just so excited that you're on justin Hey, thanks, Justin. It's great to be here. <laughs> That's so weird. Hey, thanks, Justin. Justin. It's, anyway, I'm just going to call you Miller. I'm just kidding. I won't do that. But um, it's great to meet you. Um, it's funny because we discovered when we got on the um, Zoom this morning that we're 15 minutes from each other, and we probably should have been in the same room, which is very cool. And we have all kinds of neat connections in common, which, of course, as you guys know, I absolutely love. Um, but I can't even wait to dive in today. So, um, Justin Miller, tell us about your background, how you even got into this whole, I, I'll call it the entrepreneurship space. How do you decide to start this organization, this nonprofit? Um, but give us kind of the backstory first.
2: Yeah, well, Atlanta is actually home for me. And you may have had guests on your podcast in the past who have been part of the Chick-fil-A universe. But uh, that's where my dad has been for the past Forty years. So I'm one of those rare guys that grew up in the the city of Atlanta, and I grew up around the topics of leadership. But honestly, growing up, I never would have identified myself as an entrepreneur. Interesting. I didn't. I didn't wake up thinking about new ideas. I didn't. I always prided myself on being a a guy that can execute. That can go and get stuff done. And uh, but God has a funny way of of throwing a curveball into our story. And when I was 18 years old, I was sitting in a leadership conference in Chicago, Illinois, listening to Bono give a challenge to the church to say, hey, you guys are missing in action from the greatest humanitarian crisis of our generation. Millions around the world are suffering and dying because of HIV and AIDS, and the church is nowhere to be found. What are you going to do about it? And at that time, I knew very little and I cared very little about what was happening with HIV and AIDS. But that, uh, that just sparked something inside of me that said, I need to, to learn more. And, and I may have a responsibility as a person of faith, uh, as a person with, with resources and access to, to people. Uh, what, what am I responsible to do to take action on this? And that little spark just continued to grow as I researched the issue. And then the following summer went to East Africa for the first time. And that's when the, the epidemic of AIDS really became personal for me because I got to spend time with the, the men and the women and the children who were just so impacted by um, this disease. And that was kind of the, the launching point of this organization. And there's, there's more to that, that launch story that I'm sure, sure will unpack, but that was kind of the the catalyst for this thing to launch
1: wow that's amazing um so you hadn't been doing any work around this in the past It was just one of those ideas that kind of caught you and then you started to explore it and you started to get interested in it was what what, was there a turning point kind of in that early in those early days was it when you went on that first i'll say mission trip i'm assuming that's what it was or what or, or whatnot when you went to africa was there a moment when you're like you know i'm gonna do this like this is what i'm gonna go start a lot of it really revolved around that first trip. I was there with a few buddies of mine from high
2: school, and we, through a series of what I would call just providential connections, we ended up working with these two Kenyan pastors in Cornell and Duncan on that trip. And we were actually there to produce a documentary. So we spent 30 days hearing story after story after story of people who were, who were living under the, the the weight of HIV. and realizing that while the world had made a huge effort to bring medicine and testing into this space there was nobody that was really looking at how do we care for the whole person and we we saw people that were they were they were still suffering from hunger because they didn't have opportunities to work we saw people that were lonely and isolated and depressed because society had said because you have hiv you're not you're not worthy Uh, We saw churches that were still closing their doors to people with HIV because of the stigma that existed. And we saw all of these different factors. And we realized very quickly that uh, we weren't going to solve this by just giving people medication, that there was a a greater need here. And there was an opportunity for us to step in and to meet that. And so I I left that trip with a feeling like I've learned so much. I have the responsibility to do something with what I've learned. But it wasn't until a few months after that when. Uh, I really had a chance to process it where I said, okay, I need to, I need to actually take a step and do something about this. And I had two guys, Cornell and Duncan, who were national Kenyan leaders who were on the ground, who knew the culture, who knew the context. And they ended up becoming my partners and co-founders in launching this organization.
1: Wow. That's amazing. Um, and for those that don't know, care for AIDS Empowering people to live a life beyond AIDS, Um, and since you've been, since the organization has even uh, been developed, I mean, gosh, I I read that you guys had raised more than forty-five million dollars in annual donations. Two hundred employees, twenty thousand families served, sixty-eight centers in East Africa. I mean, oh my god, that's not small. I mean, that's pretty massive and amazing. And I, I mean, like, what amazing impact, you know? I don't know that a lot of our audience. Know a lot about AIDS now, like it used to be so front and center, and now it's like all COVID, right? So, give us, you know, before we even dive into more of your your nonprofit, give us kind of this. The, like, what's the view of the industry? Like, w- tell us what, where is HIV and AIDS now? Like, what is the view of things?
2: well You're right, Justin. Most people that I talk to on a daily basis have no idea that this is still such an issue, and, and we won't talk about it today. But it's even still a major issue in the city of Atlanta, and and most of us drive past it. Don't even know, right? I mean, the toll that it's taking on our city, but, but globally we are still upwards of 2 million new infections of HIV every single year. Wow. And somewhere around seven to 800,000 people dying from HIV every single year. And when you think about the impact of COVID that has even, unfortunately it's set us back in our fight against HIV, because people haven't been able to access the, the services that they need, they are not able to access the nutrition that they need. Um, mothers who are delivering newborn babies aren't able to, to get care, and so they're transmitting it to their kids. And so it, it, is, a, um, you know, it is a very hard reality uh, that we, are, we may be looking at additional 500,000 HIV-related deaths just because of the disruption that COVID caused. Interesting. So we we still have a long way to go to see an end to this pandemic. Uh, while many people feel like, hey, this is something that's already been solved.
1: Right. Just got to get a shot and it's all done. Right. Not so simple. Um. Wow. Interesting. So, um, talk about your organization and and when you established it, what was kind of your, I, I got the why you could see there was a, a problem needed to be solved. In fact, I think you really did a nice job of outlining that on the careforaids.org website. Um, but share with our audience though, like what, what did you guys decide to do? And has that been consistent or has it grown over time?
2: Well, probably like a lot of entrepreneurs, we, uh, what we tried out of the game did not work as we intended it to, but that's okay. We learned a lot. We picked ourselves up, and we, we rebuilt the model a little bit and tried again. But the, the theory that we've always held to, and, and really this has been unchanged in the past 13 years, is that that one of the most underserved, overlooked, the most critical groups in this whole fight are parents and caregivers living with HIV and AIDS, because we were seeing these families disintegrate and these kids were being orphaned at an alarming rate. So we've always Wanted to target uh, that group in particular, so mostly adults. We've always wanted to deliver care through the local church, Um, not just because of our faith background, but in a East African context. That's the best way to get care into the community through a trusted and discreet source. Um, And we've always wanted it to be holistic, as we talked about. So our our model has more or less been the same for 13 years, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're so successful. As we've been kind of refining and improving on a, on a, that similar concept but we partner with local churches we have 80 clients at a time who come into one of our programs and these are the most vulnerable members of the community that we can identify who need our services and then we spend 9 months working with them on helping ensure that they're one physically well and they have a suppressed viral load which means that there's basically an undetectable amount of the virus in their blood but then we're also working with them on connecting them back into a social group We're working on helping empower them with the economic skills that they need to go out and start a small business. Uh, We're providing them an opportunity to do spiritual education and discipleship if they want to uh, unpack these spiritual matters more uh, and and on down the list of how can we help bring all these services to bear in one place through the local church so that a person, when they leave our program, can basically live a normal, full, healthy life and then take care of their kids uh, in the future. So we've had over 20,000 people now that have completed that nine-month program, Wow! and they represent (laughs) over 60,000 kids. And so we believe that's one of the ways that we're going to change the trajectory of this pandemic is by keeping these parents alive, keeping these families together, and preventing these children from becoming orphans.
1: And so how did you figure out how to make it all work? Like, where did you start? What was the first thing when you formed the organization? Was it fundraising? Was it getting on the ground resources at the churches, as you mentioned? What did that look like? Well,
2: you know, it's you you probably hear a lot of great founders teams are often more than one person. And I'm thankful that in my case, I had two other... Well, I really had... Uh, four other co-founders, two that were my American friends that went on me that first trip. Then I had these two Kenyan guys, Cornell and Duncan. And so we really were able to divide and conquer in the beginning. And Cornell and Duncan were really, they had been living in this HIV world for years. Uh, Actually, Cornell's mom, her name's Nora, uh, we write about her in our book, but uh, her story and the way that Cornell intervened in her life when she was In the final days of her life, because HIV had destroyed her body, he intervened in her life and helped to bring her back to full health. And today, 15 years later, she's still alive and well and raising her seven kids and now countless grandkids. And so Cornell and Duncan found the first partner church. They were the ones that said, hey, we want to pilot this program with you. They helped to recruit the first group of clients and they helped to, to set up that pilot program. And as I said, the first one, I mean, had a lot of, of really great qualities about it, but there were some definitely some things that we missed on the first time going through that. And then on the U S side, my job was that, Justin, you know, I need, we need you to go in out and raise some funds. And so right, I was right a junior, junior in college and at uh, Vanderbilt, didn't have a lot of, right? no, yeah. I was at Vanderbilt, uh, go doors, didn't have a lot of my own resources to invest, but I, I thankfully had a, a great community of friends and family, and, and as a lot of entrepreneurs who who start to try to raise uh, funds, that's where I started and, sure. and pitched this idea, and you know didn't didn't exactly know what it was going to become, but said, hey, we need to to fund this first um, this first program in East Africa, and, and so that was where I started and did that as much as I could during while I was in school and during the summers, and then after I graduated in two thousand nine when I came on and joined the organization full-time.
1: Got it. And you mentioned a couple of co-founders. Were were you guys each good at certain things? You know what I mean? What I found in my interviews is if there's co-founders, usually someone's really good at like the finances and someone's really good at sales and marketing or or the creative side. Like, What did that look like for you guys? Yeah.
2: Well, Cornell and Duncan are two of the most opposite leaders I've ever (laughs) met. Nice. So... That was a perfect match, not to say that heads don't butt sometimes, but these guys uh, just did have so many different leadership styles, different personalities, and they're from opposing tribes in Kenya.
1: Which Interesting.
2: It's something we really unpack in our book that uh, it, I think it's timely in the midst of the, the social uh, unrest that we feel in our country today to see how the tribalism plays out in East Africa and how Cornell and Duncan – becoming this unified partnership has really been a picture to the country and to our organization that, Hey, this is not about tribes. <laughs> this is not right. about, this is about how do we show compassion and care to those that are the most hurting and the most marginalized. And so on the U S side in the early days, my two other American co-founders were pretty involved. They've since moved on to other callings, but you know, one of them was a creative and a photographer and a musician and. One of them was more of the visionary, honestly, uh, in the early days, sure. and I was a little bit more of that operator and and, and executor. So we, it was a great blend of personalities in those early
1: days. Well, oh, that's awesome. Um, where are you guys today, and what are the keys for you know like the upcoming year?
2: Well, uh, today we are we just opened our 70th center
1: wow in unbelievable east africa and what is a center Uh, explain to our our audience what that entails
2: yeah so going back to this idea center and, and church are synonymous in our context so in one of those centers we've got two local staff who are counselors and social workers and they are the ones that are recruiting those community members who are Uh, experiencing the greatest need, and they're the ones that are guiding them through that nine-month program. And then when they graduate, they recruit another group. So we've got these 70 centers, which means that at any given time, we can serve over 5,000 people in one of these locations. We have 200 staff in East Africa who are running our programs and who are providing support to those programs and uh, we just, this past year, we just raised over $5 million for the first time. Wow. And so we are at a point where we are continuing to try to scale. We have a vision to open another 18 centers this year to get to 88 before the end of 21. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we are reliant on the support of our donors. And sure. you talk to a lot of people in this Uh, consumer goods space, but I mean, it is, it's one of the biggest challenges of nonprofits I think is that we have two very distinct customers. And although we have a product that's really well tailored to serve our clients in East Africa, sometimes our customer here in the U S these donors, um, a organization around HIV and AIDS is not something that they closely align with or resonate with. So for us, it's always the priority of how do we help people, um, connect personally to the work that we're doing and that's taking people when we can uh, that's trying to tell great stories uh, that's trying to help educate people well about what's going on in East Africa and, and thankfully we've seen just a, a lot of generosity from our, our supporters
1: I'm sure. Like any entrepreneur there's always good lessons learned I'm sure you've had a few um, what, what would be two or three you'd share with our audience
2: well one of the things that I would say and I know that some some entrepreneurs don't have the opportunity to get out of the, you know, they don't get to go through the the different stages of an organization. But for me, one of the things I've learned is the value that applying consistent focus and energy to this problem over a long period of time, the impact that that has made. And I know that sometimes we can, as entrepreneurs can have a very short attention span, but the reality of it is this was not an overnight success. I'm not sure there ever is. It's 13 (laughs) years.
1: True. (laughs) Um,
2: There's 13 years of of putting in the work every day to move us a little bit further, and over time we did start to gain momentum. But it does take uh, the the quote that I like is a a long obedience in the same direction.
1: Oh, I love Uh, that. And that's one of the great line. Wow.
2: And you know, other things that I've learned is that really, I mean. Uh, this I hope this is my leadership orientation, but really the value, I think the impact of Care is because we've created a culture that just puts servant leadership, which is kind of a term that has mixed reviews, but servant leadership uh, and just a spirit of helping others win at the core of our culture, at the core of uh, how we relate to our donors. It's not about getting value from our donors. It's what can we do to add value to our donors? Um, It's all about how do we listen to our clients and try to provide them the greatest value that we can. It's me as this leader submitting to my team and trying to help lift my team up, make them successful in my leadership. And so I think that is a very general lesson, but at the the end of the day, I feel like that permeates everything that we do as an
1: organization. Sure. Love that. Um, that, That's some great advice. Um, Before we go, I know you have a book out, um, do you want to share a bit about the book uh, beyond blood, hope and humanity in the forgotten fight against AIDS? Share with us just a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. Love if you guys would pick up a copy. If most of you are listening who, if you're like me, you're probably read, you you jump from one leadership book to another. (laughs) Uh, At least that's what I do (laughs) sometimes, but this is actually, (laughs) this is just written as a, as a story and a narrative. And it's written uh, in three voices, my voice, and the voice of my two co-founders, Cornell and Duncan. And so it, it just, it unpacks our three backgrounds and what happened to have our paths converge in East Africa uh, in 2007 and how that birthed this organization. But I think it's, it's really powerful in this time, especially as we look at three co-founders, not just with different skills, but with such drastically different backgrounds and points of view. But that was the magic that brought Care Freights together. And I'm not sure that without any, without one of us, if that could ever have happened. And so I think it's a really fun read. And I think you'll enjoy the stories, especially uh, hearing from my co-founders who are, uh, have amazing backgrounds growing up in the The bush of East Africa.
1: That's pretty awesome. Um, This has been so cool learning about you and the nonprofit and just the impact you guys are making. I mean, just um, amazing numbers. Share with our audience where they can connect with you um, and connect with your organization.
2: Yeah. Well, as Justin mentioned earlier, careforaids.org is our organization's website. And uh, on any of the social platforms, you can find us just at careforaids. For me, the main thing is if you want to buy the book, if you want to, uh, learn a little bit more about, um, some, there's some content on the website, justintmiller.com is where I house a little bit of that content. Um, and we'd love for you to, to come and, uh, and join us so thank you Justin dude, for the opportunity to come uh, dude,
1: I'm so glad you're here um, and thanks for sharing your story excited to see gosh the growth you guys have had and then to to, to follow where you guys are going and the impact you're making I mean, like it's really pretty awesome to be able to know that like the number of people you've met you know impacted and where you've made a difference that's pretty cool from an organization perspective so thanks for being here look forward to
0: staying in touch and man thanks for coming on the podcast thanks Justin it's great to be here the Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at ContenderCast.com.